Well, good morning, and thanks for that round of applause. It's kind of nice. <laughs> um, as David mentioned, my name is Thea, and I serve as the Director of Family and Children Ministry here at Redeemer. Um, and since I have the stage, I just wanted to take a quick minute and say, wow. Um, I joined the Redeemer staff just a few months before we launched in October of 2016, and I'm going to be honest, I had no idea this is where we would be in less than two years. Um, I am blown away by God's generosity and really your response to that and how you've just accepted this opportunity to see what might be happening here in Manville. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes to Jesus. Thank you for saying yes to something new. And thank you for allowing me to come alongside you and your families and witness while God is at work. It is really, really exciting and extraordinary. This morning, we're again continuing in James, and we're talking about flipping scripts. And this idea of scripts is those ideas that are running in the back of our mind. They're put there by society, maybe our upbringing experiences. It's that self-talk that kind of navigates our decision-making, how we respond to one another. And scripts are not always bad. I believe scripts are what tell us to stop at the red light and wear shoes outside when it's raining. But sometimes scripts can be based on untruth. And they can be more listened to out of habit instead of really thinking about what do we believe, what do we believe what we're actually saying and doing? And this is a little intense, but I look at scripts all the time, and my husband makes fun of me because I kind of read into simple situations a lot further than, than maybe others do or maybe that are intended. An example is how in, uh, on TV now, in commercials and television shows, it's like perfectly acceptable that the whole family is on their device and not talking to one another. And more so when people do talk to one another, they just have a really ugly way of doing so. And I'm, I'm baffled by the fact that we're much more concerned about what we want to say or what we want to do than over connecting with one another. And I see that that script is really played out a lot in our society. But Thea's intensity is not what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> we're going to talk about James. Um, because James talks about some scripts that need to be flipped. So before we get into the scripture, I'm going to ask that we pray. Will you join me? God of creation, we are humbled by your declaration that we are good and beloved and yours. Lord, we come before you today in eagerness to hear you, to see you, and to know you, Lord, and to let you change our lives in big ways. Lord, we ask to hear your word and to see it and own it in a new way. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So we are going to be reading from the book of James. Uh, we're still in chapter 1. We're looking at verses 19 through 27 today. Um, and so as you grab your Bible or your Bible app to pull that out, I'm going to set up, uh, I just want to explain the scripts that might be going on in the minds of the original hearers of this text. So Christianity is a new idea, but it's not born into a, a perfect world, right? It's born into a messy world. Um, and people are affected by the social and religious structures that are surrounding it. Most Christians were once Jews. And as for Jews, the Old Testament offers a script that suggests that God is a great creator and a marvelous provider. And yet when you miss the mark with God, you might receive wrath, famine, even death. And so sacrificial rituals are created in order to atone for those mistakes. Another um, script that might be playing in these people's mind is the fact that the Roman Empire has political control. And this is actually much more than just political because it really leads into the fact that these people are actually not free. At any given time, Rome can come in and take, take over and make demands of your family, your leaders, your land, you. 
So thinking about that, let's jump into what James has to say. Again, we're in chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and sorry, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So in this passage, James is striving to offer some simple steps to help these early Christians live in relationship to one another. And I believe it kind of boils down to this, communication. The way we talk to and respond to one another. And the first that James points out is we need to listen with intent. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This is an idea of listening with intent, but not intent to speak. It actually needs no words at all. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. I want you to let that sink in for just a second. When is the last time you were in a heated discussion and your response was to be quick to listen? instead of actually implying your own decisions, your own ideas? When's the last time someone else said or posted something in opposition to your views, and you sat back and listened and wondered where that was coming from before adding your own comment? For me, a learned and engraved tendency is to be quick to speak and slow to listen, and that's if I'm listening at all. When I am confronted with a different opinion, especially one that I am passionate about, I am much more quick to interrupt with my thoughts and my opinions about the matter. And I'm going to continue explaining myself, trying to be sure that I can win, even if the other person decides to also interrupt. In fact, my script tells me that if I continue to speak louder and longer, that's how I actually win. This script is not helpful. And more so, I'm sure it's damaging to my relationships. James is calling us to listen. There's no speaking actually necessary. And to listen with an intention to actually hear what others are saying. And in our 2018 world of likes, emoticons, and arguing power literally at our fingertips, I wonder what it might look like if more of us were quick to listen. The second point James gives, when you're done listening and you're ready to talk, watch your words. 
And this is easy, right? If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. And this is not a new script for us or even these original hearers. The Old Testament provides lots of great lines uh, regarding the words that we say. In Proverbs 10, 19, it says, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. And in Psalm 34, 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. And I think we'll all agree. Uh, we should probably watch our mouth more often, right? Cursing or speaking out of anger typically does not lead us to anywhere positive. But I think James is saying more than don't say cuss words and, don't, and be nice to one another. I believe James is calling us to dive deeper into the temperament of the speaker and to learn and be willing to learn more about each other instead of further dividing. So in seminary, we talk about courageous conversations. And this idea is much more than just being tolerant, but actually taking a posture to be leaning in and learn more about the experiences of those around us. So in act, instead of acting out of disbelief or anger or retaliation, we're encouraged to ask questions. Something like, I wonder what experience she has had that's led her to this belief. And these questions of curiosity can lead to a deeper dive into others' perspectives and teach us more about the individual. And in discussions centered about faith and traditions and, and history, these wonder, wondering questions of curiosity can really help us learn more about one another instead of continuing a debate on theology. When we show with wonder, we allow ourselves to learn more about the person instead of trying to win them over to our side. We gain an opportunity to grow closer over the issue that might be dividing us. The third point in communication is our relationships and our behavior. And beyond listening with intent and choosing our words, I believe James is pushing us to simply behave better. He says, get, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. He continues at the end of the passage, look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So don't just hear the word, but follow it, do it, live it out, behave better. Because I think James is pointing to the hypocrisy in coming to hear the word of God, then walking away without letting it change you in any way. I mean, I believe that those who walked and followed Jesus, listened and were healed by him, had to live differently. And James is calling for us to also have a significant difference between before hearing the word and after. And I mean, isn't this the hypocrisy most of us can't stand about Christians, right? We struggle less with this idea of God and we struggle more with those church people who seemingly act just as evil and selfish and immoral as the rest of the world. I mean, how is it that these Christians can act in such absurd and non-loving ways? I remember when I first surrendered to Jesus. Soon after I started going to a church and I was just beginning to accept that love and reconciliation that God offered. And on my drive to work, I would listen to Christian music as loud as it would play. 
and I would sing at the top of my lungs. I would lift my hands off of that um, steering wheel, and I would cry with emotions, finally able to begin to accept this love of God, this freedom and forgiveness. And then I would get to my, car, my uh, office and basically say, thanks, Jesus. See you at five. I noticed that I wasn't taking any of that love, forgiveness, or even peace into my workplace. And what really helped me notice this was this one lady. And I'm going to be honest, I don't remember her name because I didn't like her very much. And I can't even tell you what I didn't like about her. She probably threatened me in some way. But because of this dislike, I definitely ignored her and avoided her and had no desire to be in relationship with her. One morning after my worshipful drive-in and a little nudging on my heart about keeping Jesus locked in the car all afternoon, I saw her and so I said, good morning. This woman stopped dead in her tracks with a look of confusion. She was so surprised that I had spoken to her in this way. She didn't know how to respond. She stood there for a moment and finally stuttered her own, good morning, and walked away. And my heart still sinks when I think about that moment. Despite the fact that my whole life had begun to change, despite the fact that I was learning about a new love and grace that I had never known before, despite the fact I was praying regularly, attending church regularly, giving money to the church, my behavior had not changed at all for this woman. And Jesus warns about this. He talks about in the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 44 through 45, he's talking about a parable, but he tells the followers asking, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he tells them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. He says later in Luke directly, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. What kind of relationships are you working on without a solid foundation? What relationships are you in where you do not truly listen and hear the words of others but merely wait to correct? What behaviors toward others need to be better? James is declaring we cannot simply hear the good news and not change our listening, our words, and our actions. This good news is too good to not let it transform you and become evident to those around you. More so, James is giving us not just new guidelines or a way to live as a Christian. James is also at work to better clarify our understanding of Christ. What I believe is at the heart of this passage is verses 23 through 25. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. After looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, 
not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And the first time I read this, uh, this section, these are the verses that really jumped out at me. These are the ones that I continue to wrestle with. And they actually are translated a couple, di- couple of different ways. David and I had t- different translations we discussed. And so I forced myself to look at the Greek. Let's look at the original language that these words were written in and see if it can help clarify what's really trying to be said. It might get a little confusing, but I trust you can, fit, you can stay with me. So we're going to look at the first half of the sentence. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And the first little section is this, looks at his face in a mirror. The Greek words where we have translated face actually appear three words. The first is prosopon, and then it's tes and henesos. Well, prosopon means face. Okay, that makes sense. Um, the test is an article, and when you translate, articles can get moved around and may not be as necessary in the, in the translated language. But then there's this extra word, henesos. What is this word? What does it mean? So the Greek word henesos has multiple meanings, and they can include origin, birth, nature, or existence. And just like in English, context can help us understand which definition is best for our sentence. So I also looked at where this same word was used other places in the New Testament. And it comes up in Matthew and Luke in the narratives of Jesus' birth. There we translated it either birth or origin, which makes sense. But here, in this passage, replacing henesos with nature or existence might make a little bit more sense. So let's try it. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his nature or existence in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away, immediately forgets what he looks like. I want to hold this slide because we're going to also continue to the end of the sentence. There, there's also, it's translated in a couple different ways. So going and looking back at the Greek, in the place of looks like, we have the Greek word hopios, which is translated to mean kind or manner. And so if we replace these Greek words, henesos and hopios, with these, these English words, we get a similar, but I think it's a deeper meaning. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his nature or existence in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind he is. What I think James is saying is that anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says, it's like looking in a mirror and seeing who you really are, your nature, and then forgetting much more of just what you look like, but forgetting that, forgetting what kind of person you are, your very existence. Well, why does this matter? What is the nature of the hearers of this word? And that's where the second sentence in this in this peace kind of sticks out. It says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And the Greek word used in place of freedom is eleutherius, which means specifically freedom from slavery. Wait a second. Aren't these people free? Well, remember, they may not have believed that they were. The original hearers were ancestors of once slaves in Egypt, then under multiple ruling nations. And at the time of this writing, they are under Roman control. More so, their Jewish law and sacrificial rituals rule their daily life and this constant need for atonement. 
No matter how much sacrifice they offer, they are enslaved to sin. And what about hearers today? What ideas are you enslaved to? What chains of bondage need breaking? Doubt? Fear? Shame? Or this idea that because of your thoughts, there is no possible way God could be at work through you, around you, and in you. Here comes the good news. And this is the good news I believe James is pushing us to hear and not forget. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus reads from the words from the prophet Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. Jesus offers freedom, a state of being free that includes not costing or charging anything, not subject to the control or domination of another, not determined by anything beyond its own nature, not being used or occupied, not obstructed, not restricted, not confined to a particular position, not attached to, not combined with, not mixed with something else, in essence, separate. James is calling us to not forget what the word says and does to us. To hear it and merely walk back to your old scripts of reacting out of anger, judging others with your tongue, and declaring you are different yet not acting like it is like looking at your natural state and immediately forgetting your nature of freedom in Christ. John says in the book of, excuse me, Jesus says in the book of John chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, to those who believed in him, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Paul writes about it in Romans 8, verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And again in 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You are free in Christ. You are free from the sins of your past, free from the mistakes of your family, free from the binds of society, limits placed on you beyond your control. You are even free from your own chains of guilt, denial, and disbelief of your worth. You are set apart from the evils and moral filth of this world. You are even free from death. At the end of the passage, James mentions worthless religion. To not change your behavior, your words, and your actions is worthless, meaningless, a waste of time. Only when you believe what you hear and let it change you are you able to live into that freedom. A freedom that flips your script from one of self, quick to anger, quick and moral filth, to a one of a bridled tongue. That is where the righteousness is received. This is when your words and your actions follow your heart for you live free. Free from your own chains and free in Christ. Some of my chains include fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of imperfection. 
And working here at Redeemer, those are challenged often. Just a year ago, um, we experienced one of the most horrible things that could physically happen to our church when Hurricane Harvey hit. I remember when David sent the pictures of the chairs floating next door. The script that played in my head was, Thea, your value has been washed away. But I stand here a year later and in more than awe of not only the rebuild, which was done in record time, with your outpouring of generosity, time, and talent. But I look at everything else that is happening here. The growth, the leadership, the investments your families are making and what God is doing. I mean, the way you have stepped up and stepped out in order to try something new, build a new relationship, and connect others to a greater life of freedom in Christ. This freedom offers us an opportunity to lift our hands in worship and trust that we are okay. This freedom allows us to humbly accept the overwhelming, overflowing love of God and trust it is not dependent on anything we have to do to earn it. And this freedom offers a new liberty that may not be too comfortable at first, but honestly, without it, Everything we're doing, all of this, it's meaningless. So what does that freedom look like to you? What aspect of Christ are you forgetting after hearing the word that saves you? What chains are you leaving unbroken? And what does it look like when we become more than hearers of the good news, but actually live into the freedom that Christ offers? Well, Redeemer, I cannot wait to continue to see it in you. Will you pray with me? Humble and generous and loving God, we thank you for our nature of being free in you. Lord, we are in awe of all the ways that you work, God, and we come with eager anticipation of all that you have planned. Lord, thank you. Thank you for our freedom. Thank you for the ability to respond to both your love toward us and to share that with so many others. It's in your name we pray. Amen.